Just before we jump into the um, topic for today, uh, I woke up this morning and I had this thought around, you remember when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were in the, in the furnace and we know that the Lord delivers them, but there's this verse here, it says, they saw that the, that, that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, nor was there a smell of fire on them. I felt like the Lord, that maybe there's things that we're facing as individuals and, and as a church, but maybe there's people here that you're like believing God for something, and this is the promise today is that not only is he going to deliver you, but you're not even going to have the smell of smoke upon you. Yesterday, my, my um, oldest son, who's seven years old, he woke up and he was laughing. He's done this once before. But he woke up early in the morning and he was laughing and he ran into me and I said, are you okay? And he says, yeah. He goes, I've just had this dream. And I said, what was the dream? And he said, I was in a pool, splashing around, having an amazing time. I said, that's great. He said, but then there was another pool next to me and there was a massive crocodile in it. I said, okay. I said, so what happened? He said, I decided to go and jump in the pool with the crocodile. And I said, that's not a good idea. He go, and he's got a big grin on his face. I said, what happened? He goes, I jumped in the pool with the crocodile and the crocodile was trying to eat me, but it couldn't touch me. And this is what I felt this morning as I woke up and the Lord gave me this verse is that there's people here, you're, you're seeing things, some, some of them are like mountains in front of you, but the Lord's not only going to deliver you, there's not even going to be the smell of smoke. So if that's you, would you just stand this morning where you are? I want to pray for you this morning if that word relates to you. Would you just stretch your hands out towards these guys? Maybe there's someone near you, would you just place a hand upon them? Thank you, Lord, this morning. We just stand on the word of God that says no weapon formed against us shall, pros formed against us shall prosper. And Lord, we thank you that your promise is a yes and amen. And Lord, we thank you for every person that's standing, every circumstance that's, that's raised this morning. We thank you for victory. We thank you for grace. We thank you for hope. And that anything that would come against us Lord, would not prosper. Anything would, that would come against us to harm us, to destroy us, Lord, we pray that there would be victory on the other side and there would not be even the smell of smoke. Amen. Amen. All right, how many know that we have an enemy? I'm sure you don't have to be alive for long in this day and age to realize that the enemy is working hard to wreak havoc, destruction. He wants to make us totally ineffective to the plan and the purposes of God over our lives. I don't like being devil focused, but I think in 2 Corinthians it actually talks about, it says that we shouldn't be ignorant to Satan's schemes. 
I like what Bill Johnson says. He says that I'm only focused on the enemy long enough to pull the trigger. I like that. And we see that with Jesus, that his whole life was modeled by a lifestyle that was in total, it was not in reaction to the enemy, but in total response to the Father. This was his lifestyle. Matthew chapter 4, this is our, our scripture for today. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 11. This is the story of the temptation of Jesus. And a little bit of context here, just before the temptation, Jesus is actually baptized in water. He comes up out of the water, and it says, The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I'm loved. And whom I'm well pleased. Straight away then we come into chapter 4 verse 1 of Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. For the last couple of weeks, I've been stuck in this passage and for good reason. But I feel like the Lord wants to encourage us out of this passage this morning as we look at these temptations of Jesus. Before we have a look at the text, we have to remember that everything that Jesus did, his miracles, the multiplication of food, the signs and wonders, even the resisting of sin and resisting temptation, he did as a man. He never stopped being God, but he did these things as a man. The Bible clearly tells us that he put aside his godly attributes. This is my language. He put aside his godly attributes and took upon a self-imposed restriction to do life as a man in total dependence with the Holy Spirit and without sin. We see in Scripture that he was 100% God, but 100% man at the same time. This is what he chose to do, is to come as a man, to put aside those godly attributes and do life just like you and me, 
in total communication with the Father through the Holy Spirit. So here we see when we come to the temptations of Jesus, when it says here in verse 1 that he was hungry, he was hungry. If it was God being tempted, it would be no big deal. But here we see he never stopped being God, but Jesus Christ as a man was tempted. Is that making sense? So he was hungry. By the way, anytime the Lord leads you into the wilderness, the Holy Spirit leads you into the wilderness like he did here in verse 1, it's because he's fully equipped you to destroy the enemy. He does not, the Holy Spirit does not lead you into the wilderness to get beaten by the enemy. We see this in the Old Testament when the Israelites would be wandering around and all of a sudden the Lord would go stir up the enemies of the Israelites to attack them. Why? Not so the Israelites would get beaten, but so the Israelites would beat the enemy. So we see here in this first temptation of Jesus that it says he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Another translation says it this way. How can you possibly be the Son of God and go hungry? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. This is what the enemy is saying. He's actually challenging the Holy Spirit's direction to Jesus and the process that he has Jesus on in the wilderness. In, in the Gospel of Mark, in the account of the temptation of Jesus, in verse 12 it says, At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. That word sent, the original word, actually means to be cast out or thrown out. It is actually a very active word. It's the same word to describe when a demon is cast out of someone. Another translation says he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness. I would like to think that this wasn't something after Jesus got baptized, this wasn't something, going into the wilderness wasn't a grey area for him. It wasn't where the Lord was like standing behind multiple doors and saying, hey, you can go shopping, you can go to the wilderness, or you can go to a theme park. You pick, I'm going to be there in all three of them. No, no, no. It was very intentional that the Holy Spirit was leading Jesus into the wilderness. And here we have Satan in this testing number one. He comes and says, hey, if you're the son of God, why are you hungry? In other words, if you're the son of God, why are you trusting this process? What is going on? In other words, what he's saying to Jesus is, if you're the son of God, why is there lack? Why is there need? Why is there weakness? He's questioning 
the way in which the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus. He's questioning, the enemy is questioning the process, the direction that Jesus is following. Maybe you and me wouldn't get tempted today to to turn a, a stone into a loaf of bread. But maybe we hear these type of things, these questions that come up from the enemy. If you're a son or daughter of the king, then why are you in a season that you don't understand? Or maybe you get tempted with this. If you have a healing anointing, then why are you the one sick? Or if you are blessed by God, then why are you experiencing financial hardship? Or if you are loved by God, then why is there need and lack in your life? These are the questions that the enemy comes, just like he did to Jesus, and question the process of of which we're following in God. Because it's super important what questions we're listening to. There's actually a condition called species dysphoria. Species dysphoria. This is people that actually don't know what species they are. Whether they be human or animal. I'm actually not trying to make fun. I'm not making a joke here. This is an actual thing. And we actually now have kids that identify as a cat. They sit in the classroom and lick their paws because they have no clue who they are. How did society get to get to such a point? We got here because we have a culture that started listening to the wrong questions. There's no shame in anything I'm saying. I'm not joking about it. But this is the reality that we live in. Is that as a society, as a culture, we've been listening to the wrong questions. So here we have the enemy come to Jesus and he says... How can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? And I love Jesus' response. Everything that Jesus responds to is the word of God. Because he knows the power of the word of God. I personally still think if Jesus would have misquoted a scripture or used the wrong one, it still would have sent the enemy. You know, he, anyway, he didn't. But Jesus knew the power of the word of God. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus' big picture summary to Satan was this. His response was, I'm not changing course. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. This was his response to someone who was coming and challenging him over the, over the journey and over the process that he was obeying in God.
He said, I'm not changing course. The second temptation we see that it says in in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not even strike your foot against a stone. Here we see that the root cause of this temptation is that Satan actually wants Jesus to assume his own power and authority outside of God. Satan knew that Jesus had power by this point. And what he was doing was he was tempting him, saying, hey, this power you've got, how about we start to tap into this? How about you throw yourself off because this is what the scripture says. How about we test this power? And what Jesus modeled to us was a surrendered, yielded life. That even though he was anointed, he did have power. He said, hang on, I'm not stepping outside of the Father's will. He said, hey, even though I can do this, doesn't mean I will. He said, yes, I do have power, but I'm not going to work in independence to the Father. Once again, we see this surrendered, we see, we see this yielded lifestyle. Once Again, when he says that, hey, he sums this up when Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do, I only say what I hear the Father say. We see Jesus' response once again is, on the, is the word of God. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But we see the root issue of this temptation is saying, Jesus, do something outside of the will of God. Because you can. And this is what the enemy comes to tempt us with. Doing something just because we can, but in independence to God to his will, to his directing. In James 4, 7, we, we have this verse that we, we're all probably familiar with. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. How many times do we have temptation? We resist the devil. We resist the devil. We resist the devil. We keep resisting the devil. We resist the devil, and we resist the devil, and he doesn't flee. Sometimes we forget the beginning of that verse actually says, submit to God. And this is exactly what Jesus modeled, a surrendered lifestyle, a yielded lifestyle that is actually submitting to the will of God. So most probably the the enemy isn't going to come to you this afternoon and, and tell you to jump off a bridge to test you. But he might come with this and say, if God has called you to influence, then why haven't you got a platform or a position? If God has called you to do these incredible things that he's promised over your life, then where's all your Facebook followings? If God has called you as a successful businessman or a woman, then where's your six businesses? So the enemy may come this way and actually challenge you. And what happens is that 
if we don't resist that temptation, we end up forcing something that is not actually the will of God. We end up stepping into something that isn't actually His will. Or maybe it comes like this and says, if God has promised me, you fill in the blanks, then where is it right now? I don't see the evidence of that. And this is what the enemy does. He comes and questions what God has said. You see, it is possible because we have free will. It is possible to force things in our life. I've done it many times. I look back at times when, hey, they were God-given dreams, but I forced them to become a reality. And then there was times when it's just like I came to that place of surrender and I just saw the difference of what happens by forcing something my own way and allowing God to do it in His time with a surrendered heart. And this is the temptation we all face. God has promised incredible things over all our lives. And oftentimes we get to that point and we, we give into the temptation to not ask what Jesus did, which, which was, Father, what are you doing and what are you saying? The third temptation, it says, And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The first two temptations to Jesus were a little bit subtle. But this third one, the enemy throws the whole kitchen sink at Jesus. It's interesting that worshipping Satan was never enticing for Jesus. The temptation wasn't for Jesus that he was enticed to bow down and worship Satan. It was what Satan was offering him in, in return that was, the, that was tempting. What Satan offered him in return was all authority. Satan knew that Jesus had come to reclaim the authority that humanity had given away in the garden. Satan couldn't steal the authority, rather it was forfeited over to him when Adam left, his God, when, when Adam left God's dominion for the sentence of death. This was something back in the Garden of Eden where it was forfeited. Adam and Eve forfeited it and gave that authority over to the enemy and sin entered the world. And we know how the story ends. We know that in Matthew 28, after Jesus has died, after he's been risen again, what does he say? He said, all authority has been given to me, now go. In other words, what he's saying is, I've got the keys back. And here we see in this third temptation that the enemy was coming to, Je uh, the enemy was coming to Jesus and saying, hey, you can shortcut this process. You can shortcut the process. You can have the very thing that you came for if you bow down and worship me. 
How many are grateful that Jesus didn't give in to temptation and that he went to the cross, he died for our sin, he paid the penalty and he rose again? Leah, if you would come up on the keys, that would, that would be amazing. We're going to finish up in a moment. How do we ensure that we're positioned to resist temptation? We see here it's about hearing and knowing the voice of God. What is he saying over our life? What is he calling us to in this season? What is he calling you to? Submitting to God like James says. If we don't have lifestyles that only do what the Father does and only says what we hear the Father say, we're going to never be positioned to know whether this temptation is from God or it's from the enemy. The first temptation of Jesus when he's tempted to, to change the stone into bread. How many know that potentially the next day he was eating bread? As he was finishing the fast. Potentially the next day he was eating bread. There was nothing evil about the bread. It wasn't like the enemy came and says, hey, turn this stone into pork chop. It wasn't that Jesus changing the matter of something into something else was wrong. Because we see not long after that, he changed water into wine. So what was the issue? The temptation here was departing from the very thing that God had called Jesus to walk, the journey that he had him on. The only, know, the only way that we know what he's called us to in this season is hearing his voice. And we do that through the Word of God. James says, submit to God, hear His voice, and then resist the devil. This is that active part. This is the word, we take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. This is how we do damage to the enemy. It's through the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. I want to challenge you this morning. What questions are you entertaining? What questions are you listening to? 
we see here in these temptations that the enemy always wants to shortcut or distort the truth over our lives. Maybe you've got a promise from God that you're going to get married, have, have an incredible intimacy in marriage. And what does the enemy do? He comes to distort that, to shortcut it, and says there's porn. That's his answer. That's him, his temptation to this promise of God over your life. Because it's a distortion of the truth. It's a shortcut of the process. Or maybe God's promised you abundance, blessing. The enemy comes and he says, hey, the way to get that is take as much as you can. He starts saying these questions like, hey, how can you have abundance if you give away? Yet how many know the kingdom is upside down? If you want to receive more, you give. If you want to become great, you go low. This is the way the kingdom works. Maybe you've got a promise of God over your life for influence and greatness. There's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. When you really see who God is and who he's made you to be, you should want to be great. We should have a church full of people that are busting for greatness because they know whose they are and they know who they are. But just like when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, we want to be the greatest, who's going to be the greatest? He never said that the greatness was wrong. He just said it was misdirected. In other words, being great is awesome, but the way we get that is not by lording it over people, but by going low and serving. And so in our attempt to become great, to have influence, the enemy, of course, wants to come and shortcut that process and says, hey, the way to become great and have influence is manipulate people, is to lord it over people. And so we see time and time again that everything the Lord has purposed on our lives, the enemy will come to distort it and shortcut it. But aren't you thankful this morning that we serve a God, we serve Jesus Christ, who never took a shortcut. He never took the easy road. When he was famished and starved for 40 days and 40 nights, beaten up, delirious from heat, in his lowest, weakest moment, he stayed the course. He didn't take the easy option. He did that for you and for me. He did that so that we could walk in victory. Made in his image, representing him authentically. It matters what questions you listen to. 
question from the Lord will always lead you into encounter. Any other question will lead you somewhere else. The enemy constantly attacks these two things. Who am I and has God said? As we finish up this morning, I just want you, I invite you to close your eyes. I feel the presence of God in this place. So I've been a mess the last couple of weeks when I've gotten alone with God with, with, with this book. Just once again realizing the price He paid for me, that He never took a shortcut. Although all my failings, although the times that I don't measure up, He stayed the course. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with God. Maybe you've never experienced the freedom of having your sins forgiven. A brand new start. This morning, we're not going to wait long, but if anyone's here, and you want to, if, if you want to be included in this prayer of salvation, would you just raise your hand so I can see it and put it down? Anyone here today that just wants to say yes to Jesus, you want to experience forgiveness of sin, a brand new start, you want to come in relationship with Him, it's, it's available today. There's nothing stopping you right now. Just as I look across the room one more time, if there's anyone here, He'll pause this whole thing for one person. If there's anyone here, one more time, if there's anyone that wants to say yes to him. Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? Just before we, before we go. He held nothing back for us. There's one person here this morning that's had the courage enough to say that they want to experience this incredible gift of salvation. So we're going to pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for not shortcutting the process. And thank you for dying and paying the price that I could be right with you. And from today on, I give my life to you. Amen. Why don't we celebrate that decision? Thank you.